All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fuck me's? What the fucking A's? What the fucking stuffs? What the fuckaholics? And what the fucking Canadians? All right, that's good. That's good. How are you? Mark Marin here. I'm going to change my tone a little bit. A couple of things out of the gate that I'd like to say, which is that uh, Mark Marin, me, and Tom Sharpling from The Best Show on WFMU are together for the Mark and Tom Show. There are now three episodes of the Mark and Tom Show up there on iTunes uh, if you've missed out. One of them was originally available as a premium uh, that was posted in the feed, but now all three are available on iTunes if you'd like to go search uh, for Mark and Tom. Uh, very fun, and uh, we like talking to each other, and we have a, a kindred spirit and a connection, and we are people that live on the microphone, so perhaps you'd enjoy that. Good stuff. Mike White is on the show today, my friends. The Mike White. He's, he's a genius, and I love his new show, Enlightened. I don't know if you're watching it. I haven't talked about it before. I came into it late, but then I stuffed them all in my head, and uh, I think it's spectacular. And I think that there's a sensitivity to it, a vulnerability to it, a discomfort to it, uh, and and a narrative that is just incredibly real and provocative and a little disturbing, but, uh, but just beautiful. It's like poetry, man. Enlightened on HBO is like fucking poetry. It's got guts to it. It's not all jammed up with sex and alpha male bullshit or or kids. You know, these uh, the characters Laura Dern and Mike White both play yeah, incredibly deep uh but broken characters in in, in a way that uh, has a real authenticity to it and I just love the show and I was thrilled that Mike uh, could come on. It was sort of one of those uh, situations where it was like, are we going to be able to make this happen? When's it going to happen? Then it was one of those things where it's like, he can do it in an hour. And uh, he came over. He was feeling a little under the weather. I'd never met him before. And what what an intense uh, person he is. And what a, a, a creative and slightly tortured person he is. And, and man, he just, he did some, uh, he did some talking. And uh, we'll get into that in just a second. I uh, I want to reach out to people uh, about my upcoming shows. You know, I'm going to be in uh, I'm going to be in Portland on the 28th. That's Thursday, and I will be uh, at the Aladdin Theater. If you'd like to come out, I will be uh, in Seattle at the Neptune on March 1st. If you'd like to do that, please go to wtfpod.com and check the calendar for the. Uh, you know, we've got rescheduled Boston dates. I've got San Francisco date coming up. I've got uh, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Milwaukee is coming up. Good stuff coming up. Yeah, that's the second time I've said good stuff. What is going on with me today, man? God damn, I'm excited. I woke up excited. Something shook loose in my brain. For some reason, I've had a breakthrough on guitar, and then this morning or yesterday, I was like, you know what, dude? You're 49 years old. What are you dicking around for? Yeah, Are you going to get married again? Step up. You're going to get married? Go buy the ring. Get married. What do you got to lose? You know, except, you know, all your money and your heart again. But what else am I going to do? What am I going to be one of these 49-year-old dudes that just sort of like, no, 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 I'm just going to kind of hang out. I mean, something has to have some definition, some purpose. You got to act on your feelings. You got to follow through with your desires. You can't be afraid. Of course, I have a reason to be gun shy. I've been through some shit, but who hasn't? Let's do it, man. 
Let's get this ring. Let's get this baby going. Let's get. Let's go buy a house. Fuck it. What is the worst that can happen? Well, everything. Everything is obviously the worst that can happen. Also, heads up. Um, gonna need your help on Thursday. That's all I'm gonna tell you. We're gonna get a little political, but nonpartisan political. But uh, the podcasting community needs your help and uh we're gonna i'm gonna reach out to you on thursday i'm just that's a little bit of a tease so you'll be like what's you know what 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 does he fucking need it's not money uh but there's shit going down for uh, a lot of people in a lot of different areas of 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 business and expression that that needs to be addressed and and we're gonna have some action for you to take on thursday so so let that be uh let that be something that you look forward to let me tell you the charity i gave to can i can i do that i can you know, with the Boomer Lives t-shirts, I decided that I would take a dollar uh, from each shirt, uh, you know, for a certain amount of time uh, to uh, to donate to a charity. And we found the charity, Tony LaRussa's Animal Rescue Foundation. Seems like they do great stuff. So I'm proud to say, with your help, because some of your money went to this, I made a $700 uh, donation. And they, they asked you, like, what do you want it used for? Just anything or education? And I and I scrolled down to saving animal lives. So that happened. And thank you for buying the shirts. I hope you like the shirts. And uh, I feel good about this charity. And uh, I feel good about helping. Pow! Look out. Just shit my pants. Just coffee.coop. Available at WTFpod.com. If you buy the WTF blot. Blod. If you buy the WTF pod blend, the, I get a couple shekels on the back end. You dig what I'm saying? So a lot of you know that uh, the name Robert Schimmel has been mentioned on this show quite a bit. And he was actually, in my mind, one of the best uh, stand-up comics that, that has ever lived, really. And, and, and we lost him uh, a little while ago in a car accident. And his brother, uh, Jeff Schimmel, is, is going to produce and build a, uh, a documentary about Robert. And uh, Jeff is a, a comedy writer in his own right. He's worked with uh, Rodney Dangerfield, Jimmy Fox, Jim Carrey, uh, Bill Cosby, I believe, to name a few. And he's on the phone with me now to talk about this project. How are you, Jeff? Good, Mark. How are you? I'm good, man. I, I miss your brother. I love that guy. He was like one of the funniest guys that ever fucking lived. I agree. And when That's you why I want to do the documentary because uh you know millions of people saw him on HBO and Showtime and in clubs around the country and but they never really got to know the real guy and that that's who I want to introduce. And also I think like uh, I I think on some level in the in the bigger picture he's a little bit underrated and and I think he deserves a a, a lot of credit for being you know, like a just a, a real, you know, working, uh, inspired, honest stand-up, man. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, you know, he had a 32-year career doing stand-up, but really he was just a funny guy from the first day that I can remember, and, and uh, that's why I tell people about the documentary. Before anybody else ever saw him perform, I was his first and his best audience, because he always made me laugh, and... I think he was funnier off stage than he was on stage. Well, that's, I, I mean, that's something that's said about, you know, some of the greatest comics ever. And, and usually it's their best friends or their family that gets to see that. I can't even imagine uh, what it was like growing up with uh, Robert Schimmel as a brother. That must have just been a, a, a never ending, uh, ball busting experience. It 
It was crazy. I mean, you know, we weren't allowed to, if you can imagine this, we weren't allowed to talk uh, at the dinner table. Only my mom and dad could talk. So my brother and my sister and I would sit there, and I was the baby in the family. And, of course, he would always say something that would make me laugh, and my mom couldn't reach him, so I would get smacked. <laughs> there you go, taking the hit. Yeah. yeah. You know, when we were growing up, <clears throat> we, I was probably a teenager. He was older. He was seven years older. And he said, listen, if I, if I ever uh, end up, you know, on life support, uh, I want you to sneak into the hospital and pull the plug. Just kill me, because I don't want to live like that. I don't want to be a vegetable. He said, and don't worry, if you're in a coma, I'll take you out. So I said, don't don't kill me. I didn't agree to this deal, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm not interested. I, You know, never pull the plug on me. Yeah. So, uh, and then, you know, flash forward several years and there I am standing at his bedside and he's in a coma and he's not showing any signs of ever coming out of it. And the family was debating whether or not to pull the plug. I mean, it happened pretty much the way he, he was joking about it happening. Oh my God. And, and what, and did you, and and what was the process? Did you, did you say anything to him? Oh yeah. I'm, I stood in the room, uh, you know, we all took turns. My sister and I were usually in there together. Uh, we would scream at him and plead with him to please wake up. I was uh, using my phone to play his HBO special and other clips from YouTube into his ear to see if he would respond to his own voice or uh-huh. the applause. Wow. And he didn't, um, you know, I begged him on the last day. I mean, literally just probably a few minutes before they started to unhook him, I was saying, Bob, look, you know, we all feel bad. We're crying. You achieved your goal. Now wake up and let's go because this is really serious. They're going to unhook you if you don't snap out of it. So, you know, enough is enough. But he never, <laughs> yeah, he never moved. This joke has gone far enough, Bob. Yeah, and that was him. I mean, you wouldn't believe the stuff that he would do. Like I said, he was he was funnier off stage to me, you know, and people need to see who he really was. You know, as sick as he was, people don't know that whenever he would go into a town to perform, he would go to the store, he would buy some CD players and some and some comedy CDs, usually George Carlin, yeah. you know, uh, Richard Pryor, people like that, and he would go to infusion centers where people were getting their chemo. And he would sit with them, and he would give them comedy to listen to, and he would say, just, you know, laugh your way through this. You're going to be okay. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, you never, you never hear about that. I think that's great, and I, you know, and I, you know, I, I really wish you all the success with this project, and I, and I, and I know we would need to rally some, some support around it so we can, uh, so we can get it funded and, and make it happen. Because I mean, Bob deserves this. Uh, yeah, you know, he's a, a big-hearted guy, and, and really just fucking hysterical. So, so what's the process? What, what how can people help, Jeff? Okay, well, all they need to do is go to Kickstarter.com. If they just search for the name Schimmel, uh, it'll come right up. That's S-C-H-I-M-M-E-L. Yes, and uh, if they do that on Kickstarter, they're going to see a short video to explain it. The project is called Leave Them Laughing, and they can make a contribution. But the great thing is, on Kickstarter, if you don't reach 100% of your goal, they don't process any of the credit card contributions to the project. So people shouldn't worry, oh, my God, I'm contributing this, and I, you know, how is this going to work? If we don't hit 100%, 
they don't get charged, but we're trying really hard to do everything we can to make this this project happen. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to it because, like, you know, honestly, yeah, and, and this is true that yeah, I he's one of the guys I go back to. Like, you know, in, in your life, there are certain comics that uh, you know sometimes comedy is very it's very fleeting, and and you know, and once you hear it a couple times, that's the end of it. But but always with Bob, I can go back and laugh every time. There's only a couple of people I can do that with. Uh, Sam Kennison's first record, uh, you know, any of your brother's stuff. And I, I just think it was a great, you know, a, a great loss to, to comedy. And and I, I'm thrilled to, to, uh, to you know, to see this film because, like, I, I met Bob in New York uh, once, and we were on a show together, a, a, a television project that never went anywhere. And he had told me that right. he spent time opening for Jackie Vernon, which I, yeah. which I didn't know. And Jackie Vernon was one of the guys that I saw when I was a kid, and I thought was hilarious. And Bob had spent all this time opening for Jackie Vernon, and he said, "I'll send, I'll send you a tape." of uh, Jackie in a lounge, you know, that I, one of the nights I work with him and, you know, and he followed through, you know, he sent me this cassette tape and it was, it was spectacular. He was a sweet guy. And he, and, and also that shows that like, you know, he really trained with the greats. I mean, he, he was a straight up stand up, uh, you know, very personal, very tight. And, you know, and you could tell he just paid his dues and he respected the form. And, he, you know, he was just a, he was just one of the best man. And, and I wish you all yeah. the best with this project. Thanks, Mark. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Good talking to you, man. Okay, you too. Take care. So if you want to get involved with that, uh, go to that Kickstarter and uh, kick in. I'd like to see a documentary on Robert Schimmel. Truly one of my favorite comics, and and he's missed. So now let's talk to Mike White. And again, enlightened. uh, You know, I don't like to say this, but in this way, but this is a great show. And I don't know why people aren't gravitating to it, uh, gravitating to it as much as as it deserves. And I think it's because it's a little it's a little disconcerting in terms of what it will reveal to you about you. This is a type of character that Laura Dern plays that we all know and you know we all might have a little bit of and it's a you know it, it it's a show that that brings you through a lot of emotions. If you're alive, if you're sensitive and if you're uh, you know discontent in any way or have issues, uh it's a phenomenal show and I would just go on demand and just watch them all the way through. Luke Wilson is great. Um Laura Dern's mom is in it. She's great. It's a great show. And let's talk to Mike White about it. What it takes for anybody to be themselves, yeah. performance-wise, sure. is fucking difficult. It's true. It's true. <laughs> Just figuring out what you want to... There's so much... You, you spend so much time wasted like trying to prove that you can write or be... Have the... You know, have a versatile voice or right, something, or right. I did. Yeah, and at some point you're just like, I should. Why? Why am <laughs> I spending my time with this? I don't <laughs> pretending. Not even good. Yeah, yeah. Wait, how much? How much? How much stuff did you write like that? Well, I've written many, multiple, many, many scripts. But like, you know, when I was a kid who loved movies, so like, I would see every kind of movie and wanted yeah. to like write my Rosemary's Baby or right. Yeah. You know, like it's like, and then you know, you realize <laughs> what you really are about after you know did you write your rosemary's baby yeah i'd write dumb i mean i've written yeah every kind of i tried you know my hand at various genre types of stuff just because i don't know i just yeah i wanted to prove that i could do it but the point is ultimately it's like you know it's such a bitch getting anything you know you have to really have passion for what you're doing or else right you're, you're right it's just too yeah. too mind-numbing yeah and you grew up like down here 
Like I, that's what's weird is I was trying to I was looking for your place. You know, I grew up in Pasadena, and yeah. then I my mom lived for many years. When I first got out of college, I lived with my mom in Glendale, but north by the freeway. Right. So what's weird is like I know all of the areas around here, but this the, this little like nub that you're in, it, I still get completely lost and confused. Yeah, because was... and I don't even understand how it works from a macro sense. Like I, it's not just like I get lost on the streets. I'm like I don't know where I am. In like in relation to like the 134 or the passing of free, it's like I know I'm. I don't know. It's like this weird black hole of where'd you of, come from. Well, I I did stop by my mom's house to say hi to her, and she lives like off Los Robles in Pasadena. So right. then I came down the the Pasadena freeway, and right. got off on York. Right, right, exactly. But I just did it because I had you know Google Maps on my. On we're my in phone. between, basically, right now we're in between York and Colorado. Yeah, that, in that you know sandwiched in between York and Colorado, between Eagle Rock and Fig. That's the the plot of. But territory. you're not that far from the 134. No, but it no, seems like you right. would be. No, it's just right over there. It's just a couple blocks, <laughs> yeah, like north. Yeah, it's just right there. It's a good location. It's a great location, but I, for some reason, it's like a black hole. I don't, I don't. It's like, I don't. I, I, how? I mean, how long have you been living in LA? Just, I've been here since two thousand and two. I oh, lived over, not, not that long. No, I lived over by uh, the UCB okay, for two well, years. I, I've lived here my whole life, and there's still like huge <laughs> po- pockets where I can be like. If I didn't have like yeah. GPS on my phone or something, I'd be, you know, they'd have to like come and send a rescue party for me. Yeah. And people come over here all the time and they're like, I, what, where am I? Yeah. And, I, and it's weird with LA because it has no center to it. So there's no reason to know the whole city. So you, you end up only knowing the four places you go. But I've never really known from the Pasadena Freeway, getting on the Pasadena Freeway to downtown, the whole section of what happens between there. Right. I've always wondered, like, Echo what Park. is this? Yeah. Echo Park, and then like uh, Angelino Heights and all right. that stuff, like yeah. right off the highway yeah. down by downtown. I have no idea. Yeah, I you know you have to have to go there to know. Right. So when you grew up, what you grew up mostly in Glendale? Well, I grew up mostly in Pasadena. I lived in the foothills in like Eaton Canyon near Sierra Madre, and then and then I went to school in like San Marino. I think that's partly it. I realized like I'm kind of a like. I mean, I wasn't rich or anything, yeah. but I grew up around rich people, yeah. and, and I like inherited their snobbery. Like, there's <laughs> certain parts of where, like, I remember when I was first looking for apartments, I'd be like, "No way, I couldn't live there." <laughs> Not that I had any money or like any. I wasn't like I had no like. Right, I had right. no snob credibility, right. but I just it was like certain. I don't know. It's just, like you just you know when you come from a like you have a certain. It's the it's like you know the the famous New Yorker cartoon where yeah. New York, you know it's like the world according to New York. Oh it's right, right, like, right, you right. Know? You're just right. And like and that's where I was think that everyone... apartment where you were like, ah, oh, this is filthy. I can't. Well, it wasn't even that it was filthy, but it was just like I don't want to live east of. It's like either I'm gonna live. I don't know. Like I had to like I, I just I don't know. Like I well I I mean I still am like that sort of like where, where do you I feel live like now? I'm anxious when I'm not like feeling like central to something that i understand but uh, sure well that's normal that's just it's anxiety you don't want to walk out of your house and go why why am i where am i how come but sometimes i'll come over to like i mean again i sound like an asshole but like i'll come over to visit a friend who lives in like i don't know off mitchell Torino or some somewhere on the east side that i don't understand all the like things and i'll be like why the fuck do people like what did they like (laughs) like i don't that's not snobbery. That's just anxiety. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, why did I have to come to this place? I don't understand. Yeah. 
Yeah, because well, you know, there's plenty of snobby people that live off of. Well, Mitchell it's just Torino. there's no grid. It's just no especially grid, especially over here. You can like I don't know. I think that's as as good a metaphor for for uh, anxiety as as you could come up with. Really, there's no grid. There's no yeah. Grid. <laughs> like that. Why can't it just be like one, two, three, four, and then five across? No, and that's that. It's not like that here. So when you grew up, what what was the what, what your old man was in the religion racket, right? My dad was, yeah. Yeah? Like it, when you were a kid, that was the thing? He was, uh, what did he do? My dad was, well, it was he was a minister. He had a church in, in Pasadena. And when your parents were still married? When my parents were still married. So for a couple of years, he had a, he had a, his ministry. Yeah. But then he also like wrote these, um, He the way he made money was he made, he wrote, um, he ghost wrote books for um, like famous people who couldn't write their own books. Like but who? they were all religious people like yeah. uh, Jerry Falwell and Jim and Tammy Baker and really? Pat Robertson and Billy Graham. He was, and, he was a ghostwriter for the worst of them in a way. Well, he, I mean, the thing is those people, because of the way they did business, those books were like, they were guaranteed huge, huge sure. market because what would happen is people would like donate to the church and they would get, it was like, the books were like a big way to, you know, it's merch sure. for their, yeah, 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 yeah. so, so like my dad was made good money made, doing those things. But yeah, it was, I mean, the thing was my dad was from that world and, and he was closeted gay guy, but, he, and he also had this kind of liberal, I don't know, because of that, there was a liberal impulse to him, but he right. also completely could get around his head around the, the, um, doing the job of the theologic aspects of some of their stuff that's why he could write it you know because he could you saying he could believe it or he knew it was a well i mean it's like i think there was time i mean i like as far as like abortion i mean he wrote jerry falwell's like anti-abortion screed <laughs> if i should die before i wake was the name of the book wow so he wrote like he collaborated with it you know it's like and then you know and so he yeah there must be some you know my grandparents were like real his parents were super like crazy, I mean, messianic, religious people. And so like, you know, the fact that he can even, I don't know, put his clothes on in the morning, I, I honestly is, uh, but like he, you know, he's gone through a, a big sort of shift transformation of, of thinking over time, but he's still very Christian. And, you know, his, do you think that like the struggle with his own sexual identity had something to do with like, was there an aggravated sort of like, uh, it, like by doing those screeds, like he could stuff himself more in the closet or, or, or live with himself a little better. Well, I think that, uh, you know, I think that he, uh, you know, it's, I don't, you know, I, I honestly should ask him about like when, you know, because my experience when I was a kid, yeah, he, my dad was also, he was a professor at Fuller Theological Seminary, which is in Pasadena, which yeah. is also a very sort of conservative theological, like, but like, you know, I don't know, well, well regarded, but like, cra like fully, like, you know, conservative. Yeah. But he was the like professor of, um, media. Uh -huh. So he was interested. He would write like film reviews for Christianity today and these different kinds of magazines. So he was, there was a part of him that was really interested in the popular culture, but then he was also had these, this like, you know, so, but, but the benefit for me was that as a kid, like, I had access to, you know, he, we would go see movies and, and he, we would have like VHS, like a, you know, yeah. the first VHS tape, you know, machine yeah. on the, on the yeah. block. So like, I didn't ever feel, you know, a lot of those kids that I grew up with from in that world, super sheltered and super, you know, like, you know, you never, I don't know, like you get, you're not a part of the popular cultural right, right. conversation. Yeah. And so, 
I was able, you know, like I, I went to a secular school and stuff, so I never, and my dad was always kind of, I don't know, he was more, he really was like a seeker. He wasn't just about like, you know, this is the f- answers and the, 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 he was always trying to, so I don't know, he's he's an interesting guy, but he definitely went through, yeah, and he was loaded down with a ton of heavy crap from his parents of you know wanting you know they wanted him to be the next billy graham wow so that was their plan for him and that was his plan too i mean it's just he you know but then you know he's at odds i mean he's still fighting it it's what's funny is he's he's 72 he's a gay activist and he still wants to change like He's trying to change his, you know, his parents are past, but like, you know, he's trying to change his parents' mind by trying to change the minds of like these people who to are evolve, so, yeah. evolve the and church. these are people that are never, yeah. I mean, it's so, it's so at the core of their system of like, you know, if they accept homosexuality as an alternative lifestyle, it's it, like it's their whole, the foundation of their whole way of living. <laughs> it's like, and so like for me, it's just like, dad, what do you do? I mean, it just feels like you're watching somebody beat their head against a wall. <laughs> But then at the same time, I like I go to like, you know, it's like we live in these liberal enclaves sure. where, you know, like, you know, you bump up against certain kinds of, but like not, you know, like, and I see, you know, I've gone seen my dad, you know, he started where he would go to these religious churches yeah, in the yeah. middle of the country Do, and people would spit preach. on him and, and like people would like threaten to kill him. Recently. And, I mean, yeah, within the last, you oh, know, right, right. yeah, his since last, he's, yeah. yeah, but yeah, as an older, older yeah. man. But since he's and, come like, out he, and he's a spokesperson. Know, it was funny because we went on the Amazing Race together. Yeah, what inspired that? Because that was pretty adorable. Uh, I don't. I mean, I just wanted to go, and they said you should go with your dad, and my dad was game. So it was. I don't know. It was a series of weird events, but he. Ta- you have to take a, a psychological test to, for the Amazing Race for all of those reality shows, and you have to meet with a psychiatrist before you go to because, determine what. Because if you know, they want to make sure sh- you know. Because I guess you know, every once in a while, somebody like is a total nut job and hurts somebody, or like right, right, and they need to. It's it's part of their like you know, so they don't get Betting sued process, or whatever. Right. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. I don't know how anyone could fail those tests considering <laughs> the people that come on the show. But my dad did. He was like, they like, you know, he got their test back and they were like, you have the results of like a inner city, you know, black kid who... <laughs> Is getting constantly shot at. You know what I mean? Like he seems. He, he were like, you seem incredibly paranoid based on the test. And he was like, well, what kind of? What, what did I say that made me seem paranoid? <laughs> they were like, well, they say that people are trying. To, you said that people are trying to ki- get kill you. He's like, well, they are. <laughs> I get letters. People are trying to kill me. And they were like, and then at one point it says you had uh, visions. It was like, well, once when I was having, I was arrested for one of my for my activism, and I was having a hunger fast in the jail cell, and all of my heroes came to me martin luther king and gandhi and i know they weren't there but it seemed like they were there you know <laughs> so and the he, woman from this amazing race psychiatrist is like looking at me i'm like i uh, i was like dad are you trying to get us booted from this <laughs> he like, was being too honest is what he was being, he was being yes too honest <laughs> that's that's been his problem yeah he's just too <laughs> honest but you seem to have a fun time with him was it a bonding experience i mean did you like oh it was so fun i mean it was uh, the first we went twice the, ones, yeah. the first time it was uh, yeah. super fun the second time it was like all-stars and they like decided to like ratchet up the physical part of the race because everybody had done it before right and my dad within like getting off the first plane passed out in my arms like three hours in it was like too much it was yeah we had to quit it was like the first one was like yeah the best experience i mean i honestly today i was just having lunch by myself and it was like 
I want to get back on the race. How do I get back on the race? <laughs> just to hang out with your dad or just... No, not, I don't want to go with him because it's too <laughs> stressful, you know? I want to go with someone I can win and it's not like, I don't know, where I'm the old person and they can help me. Are you a competitive person by nature? Or you just... No, it's just like, I don't know. It's hard, it's hard to explain, but like... You know, you're performing, like, you know, when you write, make movies and yeah. stuff, it's really tedious. Yeah. It's not, there's no rush. Like, right. I remember, like, working with Jack Black on, you know, and, like, then he would go to a show and you'd see, like, you know, the kind of rush you get as a performer in it's front right of, like, there. all this. very movies. immediate. It's so intense. Yeah. And, like, you know, and I, I'm kind of a thrill seeker and just in, and I don't know, like, I like a new uh, adventure. And, right. And, like, movies, even when you're doing exactly what you're going to do, like, I do, like, I, you know, I do this show, Enlightenment, on HBO. And I love like, that show. I actually have watched every one of them. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. Well, the thing is like, you know, but after a while, even if you're making exactly what you want to do, yeah. you still are like driving to the set. You you know, it's like it becomes a the routine. Yeah. It has a routine aspect to right. it. And all making of things is a painstaking, right. tedious. Yeah, sure. And when you're on the Amazing Race, it's like your adrenaline is pumping 24-7. It's exactly what you, you, you would wish if when you're a kid, like wanting to be in it like uh, James Bond yeah you're actually that's as close as you'll ever get where you're like you're running and doing adventures and the whole world is your stage and it's all in real time and like you know it's like you jump off things and you you know like you risk your life you think and like and like there's always stakes you always feel like if you you know you don't make it you're gonna be out and you can get yourself worked up until like it's like where literally I you know it's funny I had like a it's this is the true proof of it. Yeah. They have this thing because people do it on Survivor. It's the same yeah. casting right, people, right, right. and they have this thing called Survivor Dick. Yeah, when you're on Survivor, or when you when I was on the race, I did not have one sexual thought the entire time I was racing, which was 15 days. As opposed to how do you, you yeah, consumed with it? Yeah, right, I mean, yeah. not consumed, but like definitely, no, it's people. like yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, 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 you're like you know, it's like because you you know when you're racing, you don't. It's like you're. It's like a survival. You're like <laughs> yeah, the yeah. last thing you know. You're just Zone. about ugh. yeah and it's like and and i just can't imagine that in any other experience where i've like for like whatever two and a half weeks i don't even have a it like doesn't even occur to me to have like sex or think about sex or whatever it's a very it's very immediate and you're in the present and, and they everything. say when people get off survivor there's this thing called survivor dick it takes them like after they've been eliminated like two or three days or four days to where they can get hard again and that they've really they all there's actually a, t- a word for that survivor well, that's, what they, that's I mean, hilarious the, yeah, they too pretty- because they're too adrenaline down yeah they're, they're just, just and the also zone. yeah they're it's yeah there's something even bigger than it's like, almost like post, sex yeah like it's like after a show or something where it's just over and yeah. there's that depression that sets in because everything is like yeah. all jacked all the time. I mean, it is sort of like the, I don't know, like fighting the French resistance. Like nothing is as exciting as it was. Did you do anything in, when you were growing up to like have that feeling or was that? No, you know, but so- I mean, I was like, you know, I, I mean, it. I don't, I am kind of like a, like I don't like um, drudgery or routine. Yeah. I mean, I can do my homework, but I'm kind of, you know, it's like I like new experiences. Yeah. So what do you seek out? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Just dark, <laughs> dark stuff. No, I just, you know, it's like I don't, I just. Uh, That's horrible. Like, so it's either for like, it's either the amazing race or like Craigslist or porn. <laughs> exactly. Like, uh, well, it's just, it's, I don't know. Like some, no, know you know, you some people, you know, I don't, you know, it's like, I, I don't know. Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. I have, the, you know, we all have different sides to ourselves, but like for me, I definitely, 
you know, I'm not in a, yeah, I, it's like I want to be elsewhere. I want to always be doing new things. I like want, you know. Yeah, and it gets, it's weird because when you have a computer and you're sitting at home and you have this access to things, like there's party that feels like you're doing new things, but you know, eventually you just realize, oh, I'm by myself and this is kind of, it's gotten a little ridiculous. Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I think maybe, you know, it's like, you know, when you're a writer, you spend a lot of time, yeah, just not living because... You're generating you're putting, things. yeah, you're putting all your life and your thought and your, you know, effort into your, to your writing. And so after a while, you have this very, like, tortured relationship to the act of writing, or at least for me. Because dread? I, Do you dread? It's not so much dread. I feel like it's like, um, I don't know. I, it, uh, to me, what, what comes to mind is, like, getting on one of those roller coasters and it's like, chuk, chuk, chuk. you know, like, you're yeah, going yeah. up the thing and right. you know you're about to, like, go down some whoosh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like you are just, it's this sense of anticipatory, like, this is going to suck all my energy out of me. So right. a lot of times procrastination for me isn't about, because I don't really, because I'm lazy or I don't want to write, it's like I'm trying to, like store up the mental energy that right. I know it's going to take to start middle and finish something. Right. And so like, as, as you, as I get older, cause I've been, you know, writing for a long time. It's like, there's this, yeah, there's this anger that builds up about, you know, it's like, I, it's like, I want to live. Like, it's like my, me as a, as a, as an actor on the stage of life versus the writer who, cause you know, when you're building up to the writing, that, that means you're just going to isolate and yeah, focus I, on that. I can't, yeah, I can't see people. I can't engage people. It's right. not even just like, I can't like go to dinner or whatever. Right. Like I, you know, people think I'm rude all the time because I, you know, like if I'm hanging out with them, like I'm just elsewhere because I'm in my head, you know, trying to think. And so I try not even be around people when I'm working because it just it's I'm I'm not present and I'm and so it's like, but I I do love it. It's and especially the more you're in the zone of really where it's really just all you know, it's you're it, you're living it as you uh, are either work writing it or you know right reverie or whatever. It, it's there's a rush to it, but it's also I don't know. The, after a while, you start to see yourself from a bird's eye view. You're like, what are you? You're creating. How are you living your life? I right. mean, it's like you only have one life, and right. it's like and you want to you want to live. You want to be like you know. You want to be you know. It's like, I don't world. know. You're. I mean, I don't know how old you are, but like you know, it's like I'm I'm 42, and it's like at some it's like it's called. I guess it's a midlife crisis, but like at some point, you're like I want to. You know, you start to see the finite amount of things that you are exactly. going to be able to do, and sure. and you and you just want to rage against it. Well, and yeah. that's like that's why I like doing Amazing Race was like it was seemed like people would be like, why would you do that? Like, why wouldn't you? It's like you know, in that short of time, I could say I've seen all these countries, I've done all these weird things. Like, and you were you know, locked in; you didn't have to plan it. No, you're you, you you're, sign yeah, up. You're and just you're a in. receiver of yeah, the, ad- the adventure. That's the best way to do things, it's like especially you can, when you're a writer because you're always having to like come up with all the answers, and then you could just be the yeah, you can just be the participant. Well, there's definitely a moment, and I've definitely experienced it recently, where you realize like it is a finite amount of time. What haven't I done? What stopped me from doing those things? And then all of a sudden you have to sort of assess your own fear, your own motivation, because it's a lot easier when people are like, here, let's, I'll take you to China. Right. As opposed to like, I want to go to China, and you're like, oh, i got to research it. Right. Oh, shit. That seems like a chore. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is that you do, I mean, at least I've gone through this period where like now whenever I'm invited to do something random, I just do it because I feel like, well, I should do that. You know, I got to, but then after a while, I, I don't know, like I read this whole book about like fetish or not fetishizing, but like the, you know, this thing that we feel like we need to have experiences right. like that, that, you know, this, 
that like I don't know it's a Buddhist kind of like that at some point you can let go of the you know like that feeling like oh you know I'm missing out on things let go of that yeah that it's a healthy place to to accept your own life yeah it's like you don't need to have sex with every new person you don't need to like visit every corner of the universe to I don't know to be happy or to feel like you've done something right which many people don't even that doesn't even but for some reason that's my but maybe you have that you said your dad was a searcher maybe you have that sort of spirit of of, uh, never ending longing and searching it seems to be in, in a lot of your characters but it's just like similar to sex or whatever. It's like I don't regret ever hooking up with someone. I always regret not doing it. Yeah, you know what I mean, yeah, yeah. Like I could have, and then I never just. You know what I mean? Yeah, those are the worst. Those are the ones where you feel like you got to go get closure. Like you know, like yeah, or just. Should... I mean, and then the same with life. It's like you look back and you go, well, you know, if you put lay it all out, if you just like, you yeah, know, like if you just, you know, then you it feels like you would have less regrets. Right, and it's there's a you know the part of being a writer as a as a life choice. There's a little bit of anxiety where it's like, oh, so I spent a lot of time in my room, <laughs> you know, like staring at the walls and like I don't know whatever it was. It's like I love it, but it's it well, is. You're, you're it still is a, you're still young, and there's still a lot of opportunities to to make to up what, for go all on that. other reality shows. Go on other reality shows, create your own reality. <laughs> yeah. You know? But I mean, when did you like? Okay, b- before I, it gets away from me. So your parents split up after your dad came out, or earlier? Well, actually, my parents split up um, way after my dad came out because he didn't come out. He he came out to the family, but he was uh, the way he made money was by doing these books, right? And if that those people knew he was gay, obviously they wouldn't be hiring right, him. Right. So, so you all knew before. So yeah, until my sister and I got through college, she didn't really like come out right publicly. And your mom and dad are still friends. They are; they're good friends. Yeah, well, that's, well, that's sweet. Worked out. And when you were growing up, did you were you religious? I just never was. I just I don't know. Like I never. I I I just even from a kid's I I always seemed like I was you know I was always, I remember this girl wouldn't this girl Marion Ingersoll was in my school and she wouldn't say the Lord's Prayer because her parents were sci- they were all like Caltech scientists yeah. and she was like I don't believe in God yeah and I remember coming home at like first grade and being like crying I was like they're making Marion Ingersoll say the Lord's Prayer and she doesn't believe in God <laughs> and I just didn't think that was fair so I, I don't know for some reason I was always a little and I didn't like my grandparents who were so religious because yeah. they were always like, how are you with Jesus? Like, they, it never felt like it was like, uh, it was always about some, you know, like, it felt like this kind of, ex- it just felt external to me. And I never... Or that it was very conditional love anyways, in a way, right? Well, yeah, it was complete. I mean, it, I mean, yeah, it was the epitome of conditional love. And their God was a, a God of conditional love, you know? Right. It's all about, like, are you, you know, like, good enough, you know, like, yeah, are yeah, you, yeah. yeah, are you... Cl- Yet they claim it's unconditional. It seems no, it's not. Very it's, it's unconditional if at the very end you accept Jesus right before. You know, I don't know. It's all about being good with Jesus, yeah. at least for them. So but are you good with Jesus? No. Well, I, <laughs> I never was good with Jesus. But I went to, they sent my parents one, because I went to a secular school. My sister went to a religious school growing yeah. up. And they sent me to a religious camp one summer. I must have been like nine years old. And it, that was the closest I got to... Not believing in Jesus, but thinking I was like possessed by the devil because everyone else saw Jesus and had a relationship with Jesus. I it was like, I remember they would like get us together at night, 
And like we would, some like you know junkie would come and speak about how they were like I don't know doing Strung tricks over a on a bridge somewhere, <laughs> and then they found God and and these little kids, and then they'd send us out into the night yeah. by ourselves and be like, go out into the night away from the, the the fire and like go accept Jesus into your heart. And I remember like going out there, and I'd see my buddy Christopher, who was also at camp, and I'd be like, hey man, what are you doing? And he's like, go away. I'm accepting Jesus into my heart. And I'd be like, ugh. <laughs> Even him. It was like, it felt like the invasion of the body state. It reminded me of that movie. It just yeah, yeah. where everyone was like, I don't know. And someone, I was like, I am totally alone. And I had to call my parents. I wrote my parents. Yeah. And I was like, get me the frick out of here. I'm, I hate that. I was scared. They had rapture drills in the morning. What is the that whole mean? thing was really spooky. Prepa- what, what was a rapture drill? I mean, they got all the campers together and then they would be like, Okay, rapture drill. <laughs> I mean, if I was there now, I I would I would perform a citizen's arrest on somebody. But, but, but like they then the the kids would raise their arms to the heavens yeah. as if they were you know going to be one of the up. Christians that were going to be raptured, and the whole thing was about yeah like you know oh my and God that's so crazy. It gives you insight though. Then when you like hear about like what's going on now, like all these like Republican conservatives who sure. have a religious sure. vibe, because you know they anything that looks sounds like you know disaster, yeah. like or or like you know if you're you know like the Middle East like blowing sure. up or right. like typhoons yeah. taking out, yeah, all of that to them is a sign that Jesus is coming. Sure. And so, like, those people should not have any say in foreign policy or, like, climate control. Because, yeah. in a sense, they are, they, they, they are, they thrive on any sign of, like, uh, disaster right, because well, it's God, God is coming. Well, there's those, there's guys who really believe it. And then there's guys who use that as a means to control morons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if exactly. you frighten morons. You know, you can sort of do whatever you want with them. Because a lot of those guys who are like, you know, the the apocalyptic people, some of them are genuine. Other ones use it to guide policy. It's, yeah. it's scary. So true. it never took hold of you. Well, that's good. No, I never and I And I don't recall. I mean, I've seen a lot of your stuff. I mean, you don't really draw. You don't. There's not religious fanatics ever or people struggling <laughs> with that in the movies, are there? Not really, right? Yeah. I mean, the thing is, it's so... I feel like it's such a... I don't know. It's hard because I, I don't have a lot of respect, ultimately, for... I don't understand it. The, as I get older, I have even less. So it's. I feel like it's such a easy target to, like... Sure. Obviously, to satirize, but then I really don't really want to, like, humanize it either because I find it very... Um, I don't know. It's very... It's. I think it's a, it's a bad strain in our country. You it's know? upsetting. It's absurd. I mean, it's, it's all these people in the name of like they and you know the thing that I and I sometimes I go crazy. I go online on yeah. Twitter and like just seek out people like these Tea Party people who are like writing about how Obama is a Muslim and is trying to the you know Antichrist. Like, and then I and I just get into it with them like oh, in a crazy. And the thing that I always do is, and this is something I learned when I was a kid, is that what you have to do to like make those people crazy. If, I don't know what the point of making them crazy is, but it's just for my pleasure. Kind of fun, is, yeah. is that you have to say you don't know Jesus. Yeah. And that like you keep you try to hit them in with the Bible. You right. have to be like you you know you're 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 
you're at odds with the Bible. You don't understand. You, you know, you should re- go back and read the Bible because a lot of them don't yeah, they don't, don't read anything. the Bible. Yeah, yeah, they just want to. You know, it's yeah. like, and also if you really do listen, read like the New Testament and Jesus is like, you know, yeah. what Jesus stood for. Right. He was about giving up all your money and giving it to the poor. Sure, his was he was the biggest pacifist in the world. Yeah. Like and and like and these people are these. I mean, it's like in the name of Jesus, they have the most. It's the most hate. The most all, so much hate. It's and does like, that work? Does it make them spin out? Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, I have the best time online when I do that. And I, but this dark part of me gets agitated, and I, I don't actually. After a while, I feel, feel like, dirty because the thing is, these people, a lot of the people are they're they're. I mean, they're crazy and they're dangerous. Yeah, and they they have guns and yeah. they, they it's know, a little scary. I mean, in the end, they you know it's like when you're so righteous, you really think that like God is, you know speaks through you. You know, there's that moment where you cross a line with those people where you're like, how could they find out where I live? Yeah. yeah, no. <laughs> and it gets very, uh, it's frightening. And in this day and age, it's really easy to find where people It certainly are. is very easy. So I, I watch Enlightened. Now, do you do you feel that this is the best thing you've ever done? <laughs> um, I think it's, what what it's what's cool about it for me is that it's just, because it's longer and I can, you know, I've written now 18 episodes, like, I can go deeper with it. Like, most movies, you know, you can... You can't go as deep, you know, you can't, you know, it's like a more novelistic right. approach to making something. And really so that part of it, I feel like there's a deeper... Grow the character a bit. Yeah, there's a, I don't know, and I can explore different tones and stuff. It's really been a great thing just as a writer. It's been fun to do and also as like, you know, you know, whatever as making it as whether it's the best thing. I mean, yeah, it's hard. You know, like right now the show's not doing that well as far as numbers. I don't think we'll go again. I, You know, we have all this like great like critical response, but it hasn't like really turned into people really watching. Why it. do you think that is? Mm, you know, it's, the show's really hard. It's definitely like it's. I mean, I don't know what it would be like to stumble on it if I wasn't me making it. So it's hard to know. But like all these things that I thought would make people excited from by in a sort of challenging way of like kind of coming at things in like different ways each week and, you know, uh, being a little bit more, I don't know, it's I see how it can be challenging to an audience. And it's also, you know, the truth is all of the, it was like, you know, you know, HBO came to me and I, I felt like I had an opportunity to do something there and I could feel that they were going to do whatever it was that I wanted to do. And yeah. so, like, that kind of put it on me to, like, well, what are you going to do? And so, like, all of the strains that I don't like and certain kind of popular cultural stuff, I wanted to just swim as hard upriver what as I could. Just like, you know, I, I didn't want to deal talk about violence. I didn't want to talk about sex. I wanted to, like put a woman, you know, at the center of it and who was kind of annoying, like that some of the values that she has are some things that people find uncomfortable. And it's a very challenging character. Yeah. She's like, a, you know, it's like, there's a lot about her that like in life I see people um, reject and, and, but at the same time, that's the kind of person I think, you know, there's so many people that make the messes in this world. And then there are the people that try to come and clean up the messes. Yeah. And those people are never, I don't know, it's, it's, it, I don't know. There's just something about it. I was like, I want to do something about a woman. It's not going to be a dating show. It's not going to be a wish fulfillment fantasy. She has it's, like a, uh, it's like an aggravated vulnerability. 
Yeah, that it's like I when I'll tell you my when when I first heard about it and the title of it, like I didn't gravitate to it immediately because I'm like, oh, what could it, what could right. it even be about? Right, you know, enlightened and well, Laura Dern. Well, I've now seen twelve episodes. They still write it online. I still don't know what this show is about. What is it about? I know I know what it's about now because you you deal with this character who has this these personal issues and this weird sort of narcissism, but is also an incredibly vulnerable and, and now is sort of trying to latch on to something with meaning and finds a mission that yeah. that is like it, it wavers between personal and 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 righteous right. and and just her her moving through the world you've met people like that and she's exactly the kind of person where if you were friends with her you'd be like look i i got i gotta go um you know good luck with everything right no. but you and then you have to ride along with her and then your character is evolving in, in a very interesting way because you're finding that you have a, an axe to grind in a way I think is very compelling because I'm an angry, vulnerable person. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I wish more people were seeing the show. It, it, You know, the thing that's hard then, you know, when it's like when you really put it all out there and feel like you're doing something like that, it's, it's like then now I'm, I'm like, well, now what do I do? Yeah. And it's sort of like... You know, I want to, I don't know. I, it's hard, you know, so it's so that part of it is, is it's like when you have something, you know, HBO is like a very, you know, it's an unusual situation in the sense that they, you know, they don't have such a strong thing about bottom line, you know, they don't right. test stuff. Right. So you're really left alone in a lot of ways. And then they also have a lot of resources so you can make it in the way that you really, you know, I've done a lot of indie movies or whatever where you're like beg borrowing and stealing for right. every penny. Right. And then like, you know, and then they also make a lot of noise with it at the end of it, which is, you know, like we have this huge billboard. I mean, the show, nobody's it's like, you know, we have like, we don't even hit a million viewers. Like it's like, and they have a huge wall on this, you know, up at sunset with yeah. like the posters and they spend a ton of money. So it's like, I do sort of, there's this weird feeling like I feel like I'm Cinderella, like, I had this Cinderella experience of 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 the show and and at the same time, you know, at some point I'm going to come back to reality. Well, I how did it come about? I mean, how are you were you and Laura Dern friends and you were just kicking it around? Yeah, we or? did a sh- we I did a movie that she was in called You're the Dog and she was a neighbor of mine and she had a holding the actor talent deal or something there. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't really looking back get back to TV cuz I'd had a bad TV experiences with the uh, <clears throat> with the last show you did. Which show was that? I did this show for Fox. It was like a half hour with Jason Schwartzman and right. Molly was Shannon. Right, was, cra- cra- was cracking it cracking up? Yeah, and, cracking. and it was a total, it was a total disaster. Why? What went wrong with that? In your mind? Well, it was just, I mean, it was dumb to try. You know, my process. I write all the episodes, and you know, when you're doing a half hour. It's so hard because there's so many people. Um, I mean, there would be like 12 people on one side of the table giving me notes and telling me. And then just, I mean, with network stuff, there's just so much interference. And they just didn't like what I was doing with the show. Right. And they thought it was too weird. You know, Fox had been kind of changing from like the married with children, like, you know, naughty, yeah, like, yeah. you know, ro- you know rowdy yeah. channel to American Idol, right, right, when I started. And so we were after American Idol and they wanted us to retain like the 28 million people that were watching American Idol. And it was like, you got the wrong guy. Like from the beginning, I was like, I honestly, it was one of those things. It was like the producers where I was like, how can I, what can I do to make them not pick up this show? Like they had given me a nice little chunk of money to like right. write the pilot. Sure. And it was like, I just kind of wanted that money. And then to like it to be, you know, it's like, and then every step along the way, they just kept going. And even after I like try, would try to get fired. I mean, I was like, by, you know, the 10th episode in, I was like, I wrote like the, 
you know, fuck you all, you know, facts <laughs> at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not the episode. I was like, I re- really wrote the letter. Like, you guys are liars. You don't know how to treat talent. You fuck this up, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, sent it to, like, every, like, head of, like, my agency, the head of Fox, like, all these people. And, and I thought I would get fired. And they still didn't fire me. <laughs> and so I, like, had a full-on, like... Mental panic, like I had a like a <laughs> how do breakdown. I get, how do I get out of this? Where I was, I was almost put into Los Encinas, you know, which is in Pasadena. You had nervous breakdown. I had a total. Yeah, I was like, I manic was, episode. Well, I was supposed to like, they, and then the next day they were like, okay, uh, well, you know, the head of the network is in her office. She's crying um, because of your letter. <laughs> and where's the script? And I'm like, I, I can't do this. And so, like, I like went to a shrink, and I was like, I'm having, you know, all oh, this like stuff. And he was like, you need to go somewhere where you can get the help that you need, and you can't go back to work today. Um, and, but he was kind of putting it, it made it seem like I was going to get somewhere where I could like order room service and get sedatives and watch like, you know, <laughs> America's Next Top Model Marathon or he just, something. He just wanted to give you a ticket out. Like, you know, I've had it. Well, I just thought, me, you know, he said, for, like, you can't go back to work today. And, yeah, I, yeah. and at that point, that was true. I was very upset, like, real, like, you know, like crying. Yeah. And then, like, the next thing I know, he's sending me to Lost and Cenas, and I'm, like, going in there, and I was, like, this doesn't look like the Fourth Season. And then I didn't, I was, like, this what is... What is it, exactly? It's, like, it's a basic, it's actually a very nice, I mean, I don't, I, I didn't stay, so I don't know, but, like, it's a, you know, it's basically a lot of, you know, it's, like, a rehab place that has, me- you know, people with different kinds of mental issues. It's, like, the place of like, It was, like, way. where, like, a lot of old stars would dry out back in the, right. it's an old ho- hospital. Uh-huh. But, like, so I went there, and I wasn't going to have my own room. And, like, my mom didn't know what the... She was helping me. She didn't know what was going on. She didn't know why I was so upset or what the... Like, and at one point, I was just like, this is crazy. I'm not insane. I'm just really stressed. I need to get out of this stress. And they're like, well, you're here now, blah, 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 blah. And then I just, like, ran out that door. I, like, literally ran away. And so I they, got in my car and I drove. I was driving. And I, I checked my messages. There was, like, 10 messages on my machine. And I'm like, what? And the, guy, the shrink had ca- brought it upon himself to call this office and say Mike's not coming in because he's going to go get he's checking yeah he's going to a like basically a mental hospital (laughs) and so all of these people who had like kind of made my life a living hell these executives and uh, producers and stuff (laughs) weeping on my phone like don't worry about the show just get the help you need and I was on my way on I was going back to work and I was like now what the heck do I do (laughs) so I called my buddy and I was like we should go to Mexico (laughs) like I should just get I I should just disappear like at this point like I mean my obviously my reputation is ruined like I just just don't want to go back to work i don't know what to do so like and they'd put give me all this pain this like oh, not pain it's like uh anti-anxiety yeah. stuff and i'm really uh sensitive to drugs so by the time i went in there we had this meeting with all of the executives yeah. and i was like i was like francis farmer like i could like couldn't like string two sentences together and then like within three days the whole show was canceled and that was the happiest day of my life i didn't care i was just so happy to get out of work <laughs> So ultimately, it worked, and you didn't have to stay at well, it's at the place. Yeah, no, I mean it. It was. I mean, I, 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 I always kind of wondered what it would have been had I stayed. Well, they literally gave you the tour, and you ran out. Is what happened. 
they didn't even yeah they just basically said i was like am i gonna have my own room and they were like no no one has their own room and i was like okay i can't i just was like am i gonna be in there with some like because i you know i this was the second hospital i'd gone to that morning because the first one they'd sent me to i mean we're literally people shuffling down the hall with like and i was like this is what happens like i've read books like this from like you know I'm where someone goes in with something and then like they're lobotomized right, and right. like i'm gonna be in a mental hospital for the rest of my life shuffling around Oh, so that worked out. When did you start doing the writing? When did that become? How did you, you know, get in? And what was the first sort of projects? Because you've done a lot of great stuff, and like, I mean, I didn't even know until today, really, that you know, you'd worked on Freaks and Geeks, and this was, you know, you've been working as a producer and a writer for a long time. I mean, when did that start? Um, well, I've been writing since I was a little kid, actually. So, but I mean, what does that mean professionally? <laughs> not professionally, just like for fun. Yeah. I mean, I was my my I, I grew up in Pasadena. My second grade teacher was the playwright Sam Shepard's mom. Really? Yeah. How bizarre is that? Yeah, it was. It was, and she was my favorite teacher. And what she, was she like? Because I mean, like I loved Sam Shepard. Do, yeah. do you? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, when I was a kid. I was. I mean, you know, he, I was so into him, her that like that. Then I realized you know her son was this like big playwright and he just won the pulitzer prize for and, barry child yeah yeah and so i bought barry child i was like must have been in like eight years old oh my god i didn't understand it but like i would walk around and i just like the way like the words like you know with plays like yeah. how they lay out on the page yeah. and it's it didn't seem as daunting as like a book where you have to like write right. yeah, a yeah. billion words yeah yeah so i was like so i just started writing little plays when I was a little kid, I don't know. It was just something I did. And so then as time got on, I, you know, like when I got out of school, when I went to, I went to college and this guy I knew who, um, had written this movie, Last Action Hero with a partner and they had split up and we had been in some writing class. And so it was kind of a boring, but very, you know, easy transition into like writing, but it took me a while. Because he after. was already in? Yeah. So yeah. I got jobs right away, but it took me a while to like actually what we were originally talking about, which is sort of develop my own voice what do you consider what, your first mo what was the first writing that you did that you felt really honored a, you well i wrote this movie called chuck and buck and i saw and, that yeah and, and it was a it was a script that like really came like fully you know like yeah. where you you know it's sometimes you'll be writing and you suddenly are like this is i'm cha i'm channeling something where did the like the beginning of that story come for you i mean how did that come about well, i was reading like the auto freud's autobiography i was reading all these bo books about like um how you know dreams are disguised fulfillment of a repressed wish and, uh -huh. and relating that to movies and uh -huh. trying to get at the core of what it is that you're trying to see or you know like and so like i just had this weird um yeah, this this idea about dealing with childhood sexuality and yeah. then like how it can get stunted and and I don't know, it just became like all play on some of those those like Freudian ideas. But it was it was the first thing that I wrote that I was like, you know, like I, where I actually was like eager to see what people's reaction to the script would be, as opposed to like dread or you know just taking you know like accepting you know like i was just you know i don't know i felt like it was like there was something like so you wrote it and you're like there's this is this is like a there's a magic here yeah well this yeah i just felt like it was and 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 i i find over time that the that feeling when it's connected to something you write it has a much more likely chance of you know 
that there is yeah yeah that you I, know when you're you know and it turned out i mean it's a it's a, a very unique and it's a special movie there's no other movie like that there's no i've never seen that relationship portrayed in that way or any way no it's, where it's weird. like like your character ultimately doesn't even necessarily wrap his brain around why he's feeling the way he's feeling he just knows he has to follow his feelings right. and that you know that was a profound thing well, it started this whole trend, and this is probably why some of the stuff I do is not as hugely received by a bigger ten audience. But like, you know, like I, you know, the idea of I wanted to play, you know, it's like I wanted to have a, you know, a protagonist, which was kind of like the embodiment of all the things you wouldn't want to be. You right. know what I mean? And then figure out how to like redeem that person or something, <laughs> you know? But like somebody who's it's like, you know, like I remember when that movie came out and like Ebert and Roper or whatever reviewed it. And it was like, I just felt like I had spiders all over me and I just wanted the spiders to get off me. I remember Richard oh Roper said, just because it was, it just created this kind of ooga booga feeling in, in people. But there was, um, because they couldn't quite, well, that's because a- he was like, yeah, he was like a gay retard, like, you know, like, all, you know, lost, like had not, you know, it's like, there was no, like, I don't know. It was in the period, like, I remember like Goodwill Hunting had come out. Like, right, those, right. They, they were yeah, actors yeah. who'd written, the, like, this version of themselves that were like, working class, good guys, but also geniuses, you know, you know, <laughs> hidden genius, you know, like where you're like, and I was like, oh, this is so embarrassing. Like, as a, like a performer, like that you're putting out this, like this, like kind of like idealized version of yourself. That's like both like, you know, it's like so many times you see these things where like people, you know, it's like, you know, you, you know the person in real life and there's these craven, ambitious, like, <laughs> psycho. But then they put out this, like, oh, you know, slacker, lovable, whatever. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. like, and I was like, I want to, you know, it's like if I'm going to do anything like that where I'm actually going to be like, is this, you know, it's like I just right. wanted to be like, the, uh, like, I don't know, the monster version of myself. <laughs> but did you find, did you feel like they misunderstood the movie, Roper, when someone <laughs> well, says people, something like that? I mean, definitely. I mean, it's funny. I, I, my experience... You know, it's like I have a buddy who is a producer on Enlightened, and it's like he's a young guy who yeah. runs my company. Yeah. And every time there's like a review that like I don't know doesn't get it or just doesn't like it or yeah. like whatever, it like makes him you know crazy. And it's like I you know I've it's like I've my experience I've had so many things. Freaks and Geeks is a good example too, but like you know Chuck and Butt very all through my career where people have at the time been you know like skeeves them out. Yeah, or it's just has some kind of. You know, like they they have conflicted feelings about what it is, and then like years later, those same people will take what I'm doing now and and then you know talk about you know Chuck and Buck as this you know this laudable project that like of course everybody loves and da, yeah, da, da, yeah, da. and yeah. I was like you were the one that you know like, you hate it yeah it's yeah. like so I mean I'm I'm you know with enlightened too I I know that like. I've had experiences where I've written something that I've really loved yeah. and it's just been shell, you know, like a network's can you know, you no one ever saw it never saw the light of day. A lot? Well, enough that like, you know, when Enlightened came out, I was like, are they gonna even you know, the fact that they aired it and that they it exists yeah. is already almost like a right. big enough victory for me. I don't need you know, it's like I, I, I can stomach anything at this point. Well what do you if you were to characterize like which you wrote uh, how many episodes of Freaks and Geeks? I wrote three. I've credited it for three episodes. 
And you were part of uh, uh, all of them, or you were there for the whole run? Yeah, I was. I mean, I was a supervising producer on the show, which basically, yeah, just I was in the writer's room and, and kept what, stories. Because I've talked to Paul Feig, I've talked to Apatow about them, and there there was like a sort of honesty to the emotions of that time and, and that age that you, you just never see again. And I think in a similar way, the reason why that show you know couldn't live in the world is that honesty and emotional honesty, when it's genuine, it makes people uncomfortable. They they don't know how to handle it, and it's more telling about themselves than it is about the the show. Well, I think that that's true, uh, in my experience, that that yeah, the emotional honesty is you know people, you know people go to TV and movies for different things, but on often it's a it's I do think it's like a drug, you know, and sure. that they want a certain kind of feeling and that feeling isn't always something that you know makes them you know deal with their real you know it's like a different that's it's to either pump them up you know pump them up or you know juice them up or whatever and so at least they want some closure you know they want it to you know yeah they don't you know like melancholy and like you know especially like you know the melancholy aspects to enlighten or the meditative aspects to it i think make you know it's like even the pace of it can make some people anxious. Well, she's a, a lot to deal with. Right. I mean, you know, at, in almost any role that she plays. Yeah. And to have her sort of engaged in the intense, in a, in, a, in a role that that kind of plays to her intensity, I mean, it's, you know, it's a lot of, of yeah. um, um, like, emotional intensity. Yeah. It's, and, I mean, I don't know, yeah. And I think that when you're forced to reckon with her as a character, it tells you a lot about yourself because it's like it's what's great about HBO actually in in that show is you sit in your living room going, I can't take this chick, yeah. <laughs> and then like in ten minutes later you're like, No, I I do that. You, you know, what I, mean? I mean that's yeah. and that's I think that's the experience yeah. that you're talking about that makes a lot of people uncomfortable is they'd rather be have a detachment to it right. and be carried emotionally, right. but right. not have to confront themselves right. yeah. during the experience. Yeah. I, I agree. I mean, and I feel like it's. For me, I I always feel like I it would be naive of me to like create these circumstances. You know, I'm ch- I'm doing it purposefully in a sense. Right. And then and then for me to be like, "What? They didn't like it?" Like or "Oh, it made them uncomfortable?" Or like, "Oh, they have mixed feelings about her?" Like, of course. Yeah. And, and so it's like and so I don't, you know, it's like I'm just grateful that they're, you know, HBO has done as much as they can by her. But there is, yeah, there's moments where it's like I don't know, like, we've gotten, you know, lately, it's just, there's the critical um, drum, you know, is beating really strong, and you wish that that would translate into... um, Into um, people coming? Yeah, just because, you know, it's like, I'm not even sure I would want to do it again, it takes a lot out of me, but... I would rather it be my decision. Yeah, but in in terms of your evolution as a creative person, do you feel like you're you're like it is some sort of consummation of something or just another project? Well, I definitely think it's a consummation of where I'm at in my life as far as like you know, I'd had this nervous breakdown and I then tried to pick up the pieces of my life afterwards and got into, you know, Buddhist self-help books and yoga and that kind of stuff and also trying to like be more you know i don't know like the idea of making meaning out of your life you know after you've like blown it you know, like i you know that part of it or lost like, it i mean yeah. you, i mean you really haven't blown it but you sort no, of you, know, you push yourself that sense to the of edge. like yeah where you're you know you yeah you shit the bed and everyone knows it you know and you you have to like own it and did you really out. feel that though i mean or was it more a personal sort of like 
you know, I've gotten myself into a situation. You know, I don't know, you know, what it is I really, you know, want to do. And, and now I'm just like, it, the anxiety just overwhelmed you. I mean, did you really feel like you were in trouble career-wise? Because it seemed like No, it wasn't, it wasn't even so much career-wise. It was just that, like, I'd gotten to the point where, like, a, a sitcom on Fox could spin me so far out that I had, like yeah, I felt like I was going to die or like that. I didn't, you know, like, and it was like, it became more of like a, what is your foundation of self that you could, that you could get, that you could let lose your sense of humor so completely. You couldn't even come back from it. I mean, I know why it happened. I, I mean, I have sympathy for myself. It's not like I beat myself up for it, but I, but I, but, but yeah, it was one of those things where like, and so, yeah, I think enlightened is, in a sense, a culmination of what I've grappled with internally for the last couple of years. And to me, the mo- the show is about, you know, realizing, yeah, your own imperfect uh, life and that you have to make peace with the person that you wanted to be and the person that you are. And, you know, and that's that tricky kind of... because that, that, that is, that goes on. Yeah. I mean, there's very few people that have aced that. Right. I mean, have you met any? No, but it's, <laughs> but I do think that there's period, you know, it's more about getting to a certain age in life and then the rest of your life you deal with it. <laughs> Cause I think, but I, I think when you're, you know, there's times where you're up to, you know, like I, for me, everybody's different, but like yeah. up to that point I was a full on workaholic and I really thought my work could save me. Right. And then at some point you come to the end of the, you know, precipice and you're like oh nothing's gonna save me i better go in and i i am i'm just the weird freaky bird you know like yeah. no one, nothing's gonna remake me it's, it so. has to come within yeah it's, no, a, it's yeah. yeah i do it's the old inside job business yeah but i mean those moments where laura dern where she's actually able to hit a wall in interactions and actually have moments of of true empathy yeah. are pretty stunning. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, oh, cool. That because it's these are just, these are choices you make, right? Yeah, when you're creating the character or or, yeah. or having her engage, but it it it's a very relatable situation, especially for sensitive people. Yeah, you know, because people like her, maybe people like you in your life, you're always going to feel you're always going to be the outsider, right? And 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 that's what's interesting about your dynamic with her is that you're you're both outsiders and and I guess most people spend their life fighting that or they're just fortunate enough to have some sort of self esteem which is usually boring <laughs> that enables them to move through the world with it with a certain amount of grace but yeah. there are those people that are just sort of like they're never they just don't have that right so you know in order to learn that especially as you get older is an awkward clunky thing man yeah well i do think that like structurally because it's told from like a voiceover kind of thing it is about her it always comes back to a sense of alone like her own relationship to herself you Mm -hmm. know and i think that that's that's definitely true for me that like i relate to people and i love people i can have sympathy for people but i always feel my own sense of Alone self. Right. Even with your with people. Yeah. And that that is the so that like then those connections become sweet, but they're always bittersweet because it's always it's never something you can hold. Yeah. And it's also because you're having an interaction with a person and but you're also having this 
this right. consciousness. Right. But you'll find that most TV shows, because they don't have voiceover or they don't work that way, that often the emotional moments are about connection. Right. And so it's often like it's about relatability and interconnectedness between characters. You'll watch, you know, like a show like, I don't, I don't really watch it, but like a show like Parenthood or something that's more a little traditional emotional right. show. Right. It's really about like, you know, the characters and how their and the, that the, co- communication connects and, and enlightened. It's about that wanting to connect, but it's always this sense of that there's always some, you know, right. a barrier between you and the other. Right. And but what you're talking about in traditional television becomes predictability of an ensemble and, and, and that's why people are sort of like, Oh, you well, know. Well, I just don't gonna... think it honestly that's just not my experiences being true. Like it's not life. Like I, you know, we're hanging out here. I can see you're a cool guy. I like you. You know, like, but it's like, you know, it, for me to actually feel close to you yeah. would take so much, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? It's like, it takes a lifetime of like, you know, I was just with my mom who I know for, and it's like, you know, it's like a hugger and it's, but it's just, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I don't ever have those kind of like, you know, cry, you know, face someone face to face and tears come up and you say the thing and, you know, it's, it's never like that. It's always like. <laughs> You walk away and you go, oh, you know, I can remember Annie Hall, which was such a great movie. You know, it's yeah. like, and the and the reason that movie is so part of, I mean, many reasons is that she leaves him at the end and he's she's walking away and he's like, oh, I thought about how she's, you know, da, 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 da. Yeah. and it's like that's what I relate to. It's like walking some watching someone walk away and having my own internal conversation about, oh, I do like that person. That person <laughs> has been a good person in my life, and I, you know, I love that person. Wait, but it's never like I love, you know, it's never like in the kiss or whatever. Right. It's like well, that's it's, inti- as, they, as, the, as the relationship it's ends. It's an intimacy thing, right? Yeah. I mean, there's something f- horrifying about it. Well, it's, I mean, and also even there's just always, I don't know, you can know somebody as well as, you know, you can know anything and there's always some mystery quality to what do they really think of me? Like, what is, what you know, like, yeah. Uh, you know, at the, I know they're being polite because it's my mom. <laughs> no, I know. I, you know, it's like I, you know, whatever. Yeah, I, it's intimacy is hard, but even in the deepest, realest intimacy, because I, I do have intimate relationships, but it's, but it, there is always, yeah, I do always feel like you come into the world and you go out of the world, and you're, you, it's your relationship to yourself that you have to. But do you think that fundamentally, what you're talking about is that you know you judge yourself harshly, so you're you're putting that on other people, or or that no? I a... just think it's just I don't know. It's it's honestly how I, I I don't really believe I don't believe I don't I don't I feel like there's always a limit to um, how much you can ever know anyone. Yeah, and it's not it's not a tragic thing. It's just reality, and I think that like. Being able to be alone with yourself and be okay with yourself, and how you know, growing your relationship to yourself is is something that I think is at least important to me. And are it, you? Can you be alone with yourself and not be working? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and, and, I'm always alone with myself. <laughs> I'm alone with myself here right now. <laughs> Thanks. I'm experiencing you, but I'm here right, experiencing sure. myself. <laughs> sure. How's it going over there? It's it's good. <laughs> no, it's true. With freaks and geeks, I mean, when you were in that, what like, because those are good guys to work with, and I imagine that was sort of a defining experience for you. What what was what was great about that in terms of the the freedom you guys had to work with Feig, who was very determined to do something with with uh, integrity. Uh, it was great because it was the aesthetics were m- much more mine, and it had it got a lot of that like 
you know, stumbling toward intimacy, never really, you know, like, or, you know, like, and the little victories were so little and, and just the, the emotional tone of it. And I think there was a lot of respect in the, you know, in that world that, you know, I'd had other experiences where, you know, those kind you know, writers weren't respected that way. And, and, and I feel like, you know, I, I did get a lot out of it. It wasn't for me this like ideal working experience that it was, I think, for a lot of people at the time, because I was just in a different place in my career and and, and kind of wanted to get out of TV. And yeah. so when the show was canceled, I was kind of like, you know, <laughs> it got me out of another year of doing that and I wanted to do other stuff. But I, you know, it was also difficult because, you know, I'm a kind of an anal writer. And, you know, Judd is, you know, to me, and, you know, obviously incredibly talented, has an un, inarguable track record, but I, but he's a very anal expulsive writer, which is like putting tons of stuff out there. And then like, it's just a, such a different process. It's not structurally based. It's more, um, you pull things like that. Yeah. You throw you out a hundred different ideas and right. you have a hundred different people pitch on it. Yeah. And, and it's always, it's like a quilt of like right. multiple voices. And, right. And, and, and he's good at like, you know, yeah. Picking the con- right thing. Yeah. Or, you know, being the conductor of the orchestra in a sense. Yeah. But as someone like me who comes from like, I want to write the perfect little script and, you know, like with all this authorial intent. And yeah. I remember I would give them my script and they'd yeah. be like, well, why don't you put, da, 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 you know, like pitching out on yeah, it and yeah, giving yeah. it to other writers to pitch out. And, right. I'd be, and I'd be horrified. I was just like, this is not, I can't. And and I'm too anal for this. Like, and, and I, and, and honestly, it was like, yeah, it made me feel like I couldn't. You know, when you know that you're going to go, when you pr- approach a script and you know that in the end it's going to go through that process, yeah. you can't care about it the way that I want to care about it. Because it becomes a group. Because I, yeah, it's going to be a clusterfuck and, you know, like people are, you know, he, you know, Judge is going to like some, and, and you know, with Judge, it's just like anybody where when someone's in charge, you don't always understand but because they are in charge, it goes the way that it, you know, it goes the way that it goes. So he would be like, I like this. And I'd be like, well, why? You know, like, I don't know. You know what I mean? And, yeah, I, yeah. and it's like, and I, I just, I'm not a good employee in that way. <laughs> yeah. And then you wrote Orange County? Well, I'd, yeah, I'd written a, I'd Chuck and Buck and the Orange County and the Good Girl were scripts that all, I'd been writing all to just try I love the Good work. Girl. Did you like it? Yeah, 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 yeah. I Did wrote you? it. Well, I know. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. No, I was, I, yeah, I, I liked how it turned out a lot. Because like the cast, it seems to me that 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 the Gyllenhaal character is a, a very much a a character that you sort of thematically that yeah. he's one of those guys just well, tortured like the, by his own emotions. Right, he's like the writer without any imagination <laughs> who just is the posture of the <laughs> of the like put upon writer. Yeah, yeah, and he's also young, which I could relate to, and a, and a romantic to to a, a, a bad effect. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, I yeah. So yeah, I wrote all those scripts, and then so they were all at different places of like you know getting kind of made, and then that's and at that point I had gotten this job on Dawson's Creek, which was my first writing job, which was a very like learning experience, but not the best creative experience. And then Freaks and Geeks, so all these things were kind of happening at once, and it was kind of why when Freaks and Geeks ended, I was kind of re- I was excited to be able to because right after that Chuck and Buck came out, and then The Good Girl and Orange County, and, and I don't know, I was getting movies made, and it just felt like a an opportunity to really put all my you know it's like at some point you don't want to be 
decorating someone else's house, you want to build your own house. And what? How does School of Rock fit into the uh, white School of Rock? Movie? After the a couple of those movies came out, I had a deal at Paramount, and they yeah. just had a blind deal. And Jack was my next door neighbor. Yeah, he lived with Laura Cartlier next door to me. And, I know, uh, I know Laura. And and they um and Jack would sometimes give me scripts that he yeah. was considering right. doing. Yeah. And they were always like, you know, the drunk frat guy who falls through the, you know, yeah. plate glass window or whatever. Right. And yeah. and it was kind of like the Jack that I knew was like a very like warm, you know, warm, like very like there was a softer side. Of it. And after a while, I was like, I should have just I mean, I, I was like, I could come up with a script for him. <laughs> yeah. Because he was getting movies made, and yeah. I liked working with yeah. him. He'd had a small part in Orange County, yeah. And so I don't know. I came up with School of Rock, and that was fun. The the one you directed, You're the Dog, is it when you write something and direct it? You know how how does that add pressure to you, and and how do you like are what's your process? Because I imagine when you write a script and someone else directs it, you're like, oh, they did a pretty good job with that. Yeah. You know, I would have done that differently. Yeah. But when you have full control, I mean, does that make you crazy, or do you like it? You know, I I didn't ever feel like I needed it. Um, as long as I felt like the script was being, you know, I tried to write like as bulletproof, like you know, Chuck and Buck and the Good Girl and you know Orange County, just to less a degree, but mostly, they were basically the script that was written. Nothing really. It was you know they made the movie that right. I you know, and I felt like that was enough. But as I've gotten older, you know, it's harder now, especially after you know I've directed like half the Enlightened episodes. It's kind of like. I do realize, like, you know, you can, you know, express something more clear or tonally, emotionally clear if you direct it as well and, you know, edit it and break the music right, and right. choose how to, how it, you know. So it can directly match your feelings for the entire experience. Yeah. I mean, especially with a show like Enlightened, which is a lot of it is a tone poem in yeah. some senses. It's like, I, I like to have the control. Yeah. Yeah, and because it, it becomes a, the whole thing becomes a signature of you in a way. Well, it, it feels like it's you're you know it gets back to like the drug. What is the drug you're trying to express? You know, like it's the you're channeling a certain emotion in that you feel in yourself, and you you're putting it out there. Uh, that's uh, that's great. And acting, I mean, in terms of, do you like just acting? Uh, I, I mean, I do like acting. It's fun, to, you know. It's honestly, it's fun to be connected to and when i first got out here you know yeah. there's so many screenwriters yeah that like seem they all seem sort of like victims and i right. think that because even the most successful and cynical right like a little bitter <laughs> well i mean and there's reason to be i yeah. think because the nature of the business but i think that a lot of them it's because they don't um get, even in when they're successful they don't get recognition for the work they do sure and for whatever reason because i've put myself in a lot of the things that i've done people associate me with the material and that is satisfying. It's yeah. satisfying when I feel like, Oh, like, you know, if someone want, likes a movie that I did, they see me and they can, you know, say, Oh, I like that movie. And they know it's for me because they saw me in the thing. Yeah. You know, if, if I wasn't in those movies, I wouldn't know, you know, I wouldn't be getting that kind of feedback. Right. So there is a, like, it's just a basic kind of selfish thing. Yeah. The other part is just, it's fun to, you know, like I had a, you know, like the beginning when I first started out, like you write something and then everyone goes and makes it and then you're sent back to the cave to keep writing. And right. It's sort right. of like, 
uh, that seems like again. It's like I want to live. <laughs> yeah, I want to be there too. So, so, so it, acting is a part of a way to sort of participate that way. Do you get that same rush from acting or doing a scene as you would with Amazing Race or being at least separate well, from? I, pro- I think it would be cool to like be in a play because that would be more right. immediate. Like movies, no. Because you keep doing it over. I and mean, over. you can have moments where you feel like you're really caught. You know, you know, you're like, you know, in the zone. But you know, movies are so stutter start. Yeah, that you never really like get that kind of like, you know, where you're just you lose know, yourself. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. lose yourself. Do so. Why don't you do a play? <laughs> I should, but I don't know. <laughs> I never. How's your personal life? My personal life, it's pretty great. So awesome. <laughs> My yeah. personal life. Yeah, I mean it's decent. What do mm. you? I mean, I don't know. I've just been sick for two weeks, so I don't feel like I have a personal life. But yeah, I have a I have a boyfriend. Yeah, I don't. I don't really. I don't really good at personal life stuff. No, <laughs> I mean I'm I'm happy to talk about it, but I, but I but I just uh, I don't know. I, I like I like what's cool is that like uh, I've. I really like. I don't know when you don't have kids. You don't want to have kids. You don't yeah. have kids. It's like, it just sort of feels like it's like. I don't know <laughs> why are we the doing point? this. <laughs> like, what are we doing here? I mean, it's fun to hang out if you want to hang out or whatever. But like, or like, what is? Is this really like? Is this it? This I mean, is what, what is this? <laughs> is this the way it goes for the rest of it? <laughs> yeah. You don't want to have kids. I don't. I mean, I there were moments when I did, but now I definitely don't. I mean, I don't feel like I've passed the age where like it's like it's. I'm tired. Like I have dogs, and like already it's tiring. Do you mean like <laughs> yeah, just yeah, how? What yeah. do we do? How do we like I don't, I don't just kids. feed and walk the dogs every day? It just yeah. seems like already like yeah, a huge. And our and I saw what happened with my dogs, and I know it would happen with kids, which is like I got the dogs. I was just so excited about the dogs. Yeah. And I would do walk them and da, da, da. and then after a while I just figured out how how do I figure out how to delegate these dogs onto other like how do I how do like I delegate the responsibilities of these dogs, and in fact my whole life is about like how do like I yeah like how do I make enough money and whatever so that like I don't have to walk the dogs if I don't want to walk the dogs. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's it. Yeah, and I, I think feel like with kids, it's. Just, I mean, and and the, I still feel guilty. I'm always feeling guilty about the dogs. Yeah, and I'm sure the kid would be a thousand times more. Oh yeah. Plus, it's like I don't really want like. Do you have kids? No. Okay. I you know like for me, I was a terror. It's just like. I'm sure the way Judd felt about me as an employee is the same as my dad would feel about me as a kid, which was like scrutinizing way too much, always asking why are you doing this? Like what? Like I was like I'm, I was not I was a, I was I don't want to be with I don't I don't want to be held to that kind of scrutiny. You know the kind of scrutiny that a kid gives, which is yeah. like why am I like this? It's because you and you're they're looking they're trying to parse you apart. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I don't want to be. I don't want to, I don't want that. It's like, I'm still dealing with the complicated, my parents, my relationship with my parents is already so like, you know, fraught and complex and love, lovely. But like, why would I want to replicate that again with some other, in some other thing where like guilt and, you know, like, and I don't know, all that stuff. You're making me anxious. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I like at the same time, like, I don't know, at this point in life, the only thing that's weird is that, like, if you don't have kids, there's some moment where you feel like, I could be like, I don't know, that I think of that movie, Interiors, another Woody Allen movie, right? yeah. like, Geraldine Page just walks into the ocean. Right. Where it's just like, I feel like sometimes, like, 
well if i you know if What's my it, parents yeah. died like and and it's like at some point it's like like what do, i could just we, walk into the ocean and maybe yeah, i will yeah, you know yeah you, you not because i'm suicidal but it's sort of like i don't really know you know it's like i've already i feel like with my work i've already expressed myself i've expressed myself in different forms yeah i've had my babies in a sense yeah, yeah. and i i'm okay i'm you know like I had a melanoma scare, like cancer. I like, and it was like one of those things where I had three surgeries, and it was like, you know, maybe this like could actually be, you know, it. it. Yeah. And it was like I was actually weirdly like relieved, not relieved, but I was like, well, you know, at least you know, it's like I I think it's like feeling like you've put it all out. You know, it's like I've ran the race. I went on the amazing race. You know, like I, I I'm don't, done. I'm I done. Didn't, you know, I've never won an Oscar, but I was at the Oscars. I saw you know, I've yeah. won a prize. I've won <laughs> prizes. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to like have a party and be the center of attention. Yeah, I know what it's like to be you know in a relationship. I know what it's like to have great sex. I yeah. know what I know what it's, that's like. I also know what it's like to be deprived of all those things. Yeah. and like I don't know what's left. I don't know what is. I don't know. We'll figure it out. All right. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> You good? Yeah. That was intense. Am I right? That was an intense conversation. I I I, I know it ended sort of abruptly, and uh, but you know, Mike, I felt was done, and and I, I reflected back on that conversation a lot after I did it. I it, 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 it tugged at my heart. There was a lot to relate to in a way, and just the intensity of him and the, and the sort of kind of torture that uh, he seems to go through, but just a fucking brilliant guy. As always, go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF Pod needs. Kick in a few shekels, go get some merch. The uh, Box Brown Live at Helium posters are selling fast. They're beautiful, hand-screened posters. Going to have some more posters up there soon. Check the calendar at WTFPod.com. Pick up uh, one of three or all three of the Mark and Tom shows. Do what you got to do. Get some Just Coffee. Leave a few comments. You know the score. <sighs> Boomer lives. Oh, it's still on. Stop. Stop.